Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for part four of Before and After. Amen. Well, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 31. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his, what's the word there? His wife. And the two, husband and wife, shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so we saw in the previous weeks that incredible, intimate relationship that we, as the bride of Christ, have with Jesus, our groom. Verse 33, Nevertheless, let each one of you, speaking to the husbands, in particular, so love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her Husband, And so one more time, verse 31. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that in Ephesians 5.31, the Apostle Paul is quoting from Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 along with Genesis chapter 1, which tells the story of creation. After God created Adam... He put him in the Garden of Eden in order, listen to this, to tend it and to work it. I thought that was so interesting because um, early in my Christianity, I used to think that work was the result of the fall. I used to think that because of of the fall of man and the curse of sin, that now we got to get up and go to work. And then my um, errant theology was corrected one day when I heard in a sermon that work actually came before the fall. God put Adam to work in the Garden of Eden as a gardener to tend it and to work it. And so God created work before there was any eating of the forbidden fruit, before sin ever entered into the world. So work is a good thing. God created it. And I'm sure as Adam uh, came home every day, he had this sense of satisfaction after working all day in the Garden of Eden. But even though... Adam had this sense of satisfaction and this sense of accomplishment, there was still something missing. Now, earlier in the creation story, you remember how God created animal life. He created the animals. And then what did he do? He um, sent the animals, or he brought the animals to Adam so that Adam could name those animals. By the way, we have no idea how long this whole thing took. It could have took taken decades for all this to happen here in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. But God brought the animals to Adam for Adam to name them, and whatever name Adam gave the animals, that was their name. Now I wonder, as Adam was naming the animals, if he kind of noticed that there were some male animals and some female animals. I wonder as he's naming these animals, if he thought, you know, um, the male lion has a female lion, and the male monkey has a female monkey, but I'm all alone. 
See, I personally believe that it was through the naming of the animals that God awakened in the heart of Adam the fact that he had no one to spend his life with, to share his life with. And it was around that time in the creation story that God said this. God said, it is, what's the next two words? Not good. Now, again, if you know anything about the creation story, every day God's saying, that's good. That's good. That's good. First time in the Bible where God says something is not good. By the way, before the fall of man. He says, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Even though Adam had a job that brought him some satisfaction, and even though he walked with God in the cool of the day and had a relationship with the Lord that I'm sure brought him great satisfaction, God said there's still something missing. God said that it's not good for the man to be alone. So God took action, and he created a helper comparable to Adam. Someone to complete him. Someone who could be his best friend, a companion. And you know the story? He caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, God took out one of Adam's ribs, closed up the flesh and the place thereof, and from that rib, God formed a woman. And then God brought the woman to the man. Listen, God brought the woman to the man. So here's your first point. If you're single, you need to know that God brought Eve to Adam. What's your point? Here's my point. Adam did not have to go on a frantic search for his wife. If you're single, you got to get this truth. I, I, I'm just wondering, do you guys believe in a sovereign God? You really believe he's in control of all things? All right, so if you're single, God brought Eve to Adam. As Adam walked with God in the cool of the day, and as Adam worked in the garden for the rest of the day, as Adam was just being faithful to what God called him to do, God in his time brought Adam somebody that he could share his life with. So if you're single today, if you will... As Adam, focus on your relationship with the Lord. If you'll put Jesus Christ number one in your life, if you'll stop talking the Christianese and compartmentalizing your Christianity into a nice little, from 11 till 12.45 or whatever, that's my God time. And then forget about God the rest of the week and forget about his word the rest of the week. If you'll stop doing that, and you will commit to be a lifelong actual follower of Jesus Christ if you'll build your life on the foundation of the Word of God and put Jesus Christ as number one, if you'll focus singles on your relationship with the Lord and then you'll be faithful to do what He's called you to do, a sovereign God in His time, when He's ready, will bring, if He's called you to marriage, He will bring a spouse to you. You don't have to go on a frantic search. You don't have to go to the clubs on the weekends looking for your spouse. By the way, going to the clubs on the weekend is dumb. It's not where you want to be on the weekends. 
You don't have to go on a frantic search, scrolling through hundreds of profiles on some kind of online dating service. Well, he's hot, he's not, she's good looking, how about her? You don't have to do that. You don't have to go visit every singles ministry on the Treasure Coast. You don't have to do that. Do we believe in a sovereign God or not? So instead of, listen, listen, instead of looking for the right person, work on becoming the right person. And then as you are becoming the right person, God will say, well, now it's time whenever a sovereign God chooses for that time to be. But if you're not working on becoming the right person, you can go on a frantic search. You can visit all the clubs you want, all the singles ministries that you want, scroll through hundreds and thousands of, of profiles. But let me tell you something, God's not gonna bring you somebody. You might go find somebody who's not God's will and you may somehow get into a relationship and a marriage with that person. But let, let me tell you something, the best thing to do is just work on becoming the right person. And then in God's time, he'll bring you that person. Just like he brought Eve to Adam. When he brought Eve to Adam, Adam said, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. And the very next verse in Genesis, we'll put it up on the screen. It's the main verse for the day. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his, what? And they, husband and wife, shall become one flesh. Please notice that it does not say, therefore a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his girlfriend, and they shall become one flesh. Doesn't say that. You know why? Because God created sex for marriage. If you're single here today, or you're watching online or listening on, the, on our podcast, here's what you need to know. Just because the majority of couples in our culture are engaging in premarital sex does not mean that you have to go down the same path. And I wanna give you some really good reasons why you ought to save sex for marriage, okay? If you're taking notes, number one, it's God's command. Now, now really, the first half of this message being to single people, we really should be able to just kinda close in prayer right there, right? Is that not enough? But you know what the problem is? Some of us, of us act as if we were our own idea, as if somehow, some way, we created ourselves because we have no submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. The only lord in our life is ourselves. But what you gotta come to grips with is that you are God's idea and that God knits you together in your mother's womb and God has a plan for your life. You would not be here if it weren't for God. And those of you who know Jesus Christ, you would not be here unless God reached down and grabbed you. You didn't reach up and grab him, he reached down and grabbed you. And so a God who created you, a God who loves you, says save sex for marriage. In fact, God says premarital sex, that's immorality. Look at 1 Corinthians 7. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual what? Let each man have his own wife. 
and let each woman have her own husband. Well, Pastor Mike, we're not committing sexual immorality. We're not going all the way. Oral sex, yeah, we're doing that. Fondling each other's genitals, yeah, we're doing that. But we're not having intercourse. What you need to know is that in the Greek, sexual immorality, the word is pornea, from which we get our word pornography. And so whether you're talking about intercourse or oral sex or fondling the genital areas of our bodies, it's all the same thing. Don't fool yourself. You certainly are not fooling God. So in order to avoid sexual immorality, God says, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Because when there is the unity of a man and a woman as husband and wife, then that which was immoral now becomes moral. That's why Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says marriage is honorable among all and the marriage bed is undefiled. But fornicators, those who engage in sexual activity before marriage, and adulterers, those who engage in sexual activity after they're married with somebody who's not their spouse, the verse says in Hebrews 13 verse 4, God will judge. Now help me out here. I don't understand. Why would you want to put yourself under the judgment of God? God loves you. He wants to bless you. He doesn't want to judge you. But he's serious about this whole sexuality thing. And he knows that if you play with fire, you're going to get burnt. And a lot of people are going to be hurt because of your lack of self-control when it comes to your own desires. So God has rules. And it's okay. He should have rules. He's the one who created all of us. You should save sex for marriage, number one, because it's God's command. But number two, it reveals character in you and your partner. That's important. If the person that you're dating tells you, you know what? I really want to save sex for marriage. That person has just revealed something very special about who they are. They revealed they have character. You probably ought to hang on to that person. There's not a lot left in our culture. But if the person that you're dating keeps pushing and pushing, and they're willing to jeopardize your relationship with God to satisfy their own selfish desires, they've revealed something about themselves. They have very little, if any, character. And so ladies, you shouldn't have to always be pushing the hand away. You know what I mean? And so you want to date someone who respects you. You want to date someone who honors God. You want to date someone who wants to save sex or marriage no matter how much their body is screaming at them. Number one, because it's God's command. Number two, it reveals character in you and your partner. Number three, it lays a foundation of trust. If the person you're dating can be trusted to stay pure now while, you know, before you get married, if they can be trusted before you get married, then you can trust them after you get married. But if they cannot be trusted to stay pure now and honor God now before you get married, why in the world would you trust them after you get married? 
By the way, the University of California, Irvine, did some research. And here's what they found out. Please listen really carefully here. They found out that couples who live together before marriage are more than twice as likely to cheat on each other than married couples. Okay, so here you got a married couple, and here you got two people who are living together. These people right here, they're more than twice as likely to cheat on each other than these, these married people. You know why? Because where there's no marriage license and where there's no marriage vows and where there's no wedding ring, there's no commitment. Oh, Pastor Mike, you don't understand. We're living together because we want to see if we're sexually compatible. Didn't you watch the video? It says, hey, we're two grown consenting adults. We're not hurting anybody. Haven't you ever heard, Pastor Mike, that you're supposed to take the car out for a test drive before you buy it? That's what our world's always telling us. And you know what? As Christians, we're dumb enough to believe them. But here's the truth. Dr. Ray Short from the University of Wisconsin has written extensively on how pre-marriage sex negatively affects the future marriage. Look at his research, some of it. Married couples who engage in premarital sex, here are the facts. Number one, are less satisfied overall with their sex life. That means young person that's dating right now, if you will save sex for marriage, you will be more satisfied after you get married with your sex life than someone who choose to cohabitate and engage in sexual relations before marriage. That's the facts. Number two, married couples who engaged in premarital sex are more likely to have an affair after they're married. That's the facts. Married couples who engage in premarital sex are more likely to divorce. Who are we hurting if we decide to jump into bed before we're married? You're hurting yourself. Listen, Glenn Statton, a guy who writes about marriage, um, this is what he said. People with cohabitating experience who marry have a 50 to 80% higher likelihood of divorcing than married couples who have never cohabitated. So don't listen to the whole take the car out for a test drive before you buy it. Here's what you ought to do. Leave the car alone. You don't have to live together to find out if you're going to be sexually compatible. No, research tells us that if you stay separate, then you will be more sexually compatible after you're married. Just the opposite of what the world says. You don't have to live together to see if it's going to work out relationally between you and that special someone. Just the opposite. You need to stay in two separate houses before you get married so that your marriage has a better chance of working. That's the facts. So if you're single, well, let's praise the Lord, right? If you're single and you're getting serious with that special someone, you really ought to have that time where you and your special somebody has the talk. Don't be embarrassed. Don't hide it. You know, don't, don't avoid it. Just talk about it. And talk about how you're going to maintain your purity until your wedding day. 
Let me throw out some good ideas, because that's what pastors do. We always give you some good ideas, all right? Don't kiss while you're lying down. It's not smart. I heard Matt Chandler the other day was tackling this subject. I think he just wrote a book on dating and marriage. And he talked about how singles overestimate their ability of self-control. Oh, honey, it'll be okay. Let's just lay back. It's not going to be okay. Now, some people make a commitment. We're not going to kiss each other until the wedding day. Now, you know what? I respect people like that. I didn't do that. My wife and I kissed. I don't think there's anything wrong with kissing while you're dating or kissing while you're engaged. But I would encourage you, don't lay down while you kiss. <laughs> Here's another one. A little awkward. Don't touch each other's private areas while you're out on a date. Just don't go there. I had talks with the guys who dated my daughters, and I... We, we, we talked about these things. You, you really talked to them? Yes, we talked about these things. And you know what I love? You know what I love? That's what you call old-fashioned parenting. What I love is the three men uh, in my three daughters' lives are all men of character. They respect our daughters, and they respect our God. That's important. Here's another one. Don't go to an empty house or an empty apartment. That's just not smart. There's no one there to hold you accountable. You know, watching movies from 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock in the morning, snuggled up under a blanket on the couch, it never leads to good things. <laughs> Save that for marriage. You got the rest of your life to become one with your spouse. Stay out of the back seat of the car. Now, those are my ideas. You can probably come up with a hundred other ones, but I encourage you, those of you who are dating, have that talk. And then allow a friend who is a strong believer in your life to hold you accountable. So you got this friend. He loves Jesus. He's growing in the word. He knows you're dating. You say, hey, friend, I want you at any time to call me and ask me any question under the book. Any question you want to. Nothing is off limits. You got to have that accountability in your life. Now, let me say this. If you have already messed up in this area, here's what I know on the authority of God's word, that if you will go to the Lord Jesus Christ in humility and authenticity, and if you will go to him in repentance, he will absolutely forgive you by his blood. He'll wash your sins whiter than snow. He'll cast them into the deepest sea. He'll separate your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. And he will absolutely bless you. That's our God. That's our God. So there's no shame. There's no guilt, right? You get it right with the Lord, he forgets about it. Now, let me say this. If you go to the Lord with a disingenuous heart, with no real true desire to repent, no real humility, no real repentance, then God will absolutely see right through your hypocrisy and he will withhold forgiveness and he will withhold his blessings from you. You gotta be real with the Lord. He sees your heart. Let's go back to our main verse. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. 
When a husband and wife come together in marriage, they are entering a special, I mean the most special of all, relationship. If they do it right, they are entering the, the, the most special, the closest, most important relationship that they could ever have in this life. And that's why I personally, I love when couples choose to have the unity candle as part of their wedding ceremony. Maybe you've seen this before. You go to the wedding and you see up there on the altar, they have three unlit candles. And so the two candles on the outside, they represent the two different families that the husband and wife are coming from. And then the candle on the inside represents the new family that this couple is now establishing. And sometime before the ceremony, it's usually the mothers, but sometimes it's the moms and dads from both families will make their way up and they will light the two outside candles. Then later on in the wedding ceremony, the husband and wife will go and they'll take the flames from the two outside can candles and they will light the one candle together. And then I love this, they blow out the two candles. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they will become one flesh. It's not mom's the most important person in my life anymore. It's not dad's the most important person in my life anymore. And it certainly isn't some boyfriend or girlfriend from the past. That man, that woman that I'm, I'm, I'm vowing my life to is now the most important person. And that's so beautifully illustrated in the unity candle. And so the words one flesh, at the last part of your verse, that is speaking primarily of sexual unity. Now I believe in oneness mentally, and I believe in oneness you know, relationally and emotionally, but according to the scriptures, God's word, he is primarily talking about becoming one physically when he says one flesh. He's talking about the act of marriage. He's talking about sex. And I, for one, am so glad that God created sex. And by the way, isn't he an amazing creator? <laughs> Absolutely amazing. God created sex. And when a husband and wife, please note this word, regularly come together and enjoy the gift that God has created. They are enjoying one of the greatest gifts that God, one of the most enjoyable parts um, in married life. And by the way, marital sex was never meant to be boring. Amen, brother. <laughs> I heard it. I heard it. Pleasurable, exciting, right? Satisfying, yes. Dull, routine, ordinary? No. No. Why do you think so many couples in our culture avoid marriage like the plague? Because all they hear about marital sex, if, they, if anyone is even bold enough to talk about it, is some kind of dull, routine thing. And it's the furthest thing from what God teaches in his word. And it leads you to your next point, if you're taking notes, and that is that God desires married couples to enjoy an extraordinary sexual relationship. Not ordinary, not dull, not routine. And we see this, it comes straight out of the word of God. 
It's all over the word. Specifically, and most, it's in the book of Song of Solomon. You don't have to turn there, but Song of Solomon is a love story between Solomon, before he went off the deep end and messed up his life, um, when he was a young man, a feared God, loved God, and God was blessing him, gave him wisdom more than anybody else on the face of the planet, okay? So Song of Solomon is a love story between Solomon and the Shulamite woman. And the Song of Solomon is a beautiful expression, listen, of passionate marital love. Guys, I encourage you, um, wives, I encourage you, someday in the future, one of your future dates, it's just you and her alone in the house, open up to Song of Solomon and just begin to read through it together. I guarantee you, you will not get through the whole book before you experience what they're experiencing in the Bible. Song of Solomon. Let me just read you some excerpts from this amazing book in the Bible. This is Solomon and what he says to his bride. You are beautiful, my darling, beautiful beyond words. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. Now, the only way you can get away with that is if you're a first century shepherd, okay, guys? So don't be calling your wife's hair like goat's hair, you know? Find a more contemporary illustration. He says, your teeth are as white as sheep recently shorn and freshly washed. Your smile is flawless, each tooth matched with its twin. Your lips like scarlet ribbon your mouth is inviting. You say, that's in the Bible? I, I need to start reading the Bible more. It's there. Your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. Your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle grazing among the lilies. Solomon says, and I quote, I will hurry to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Does it sound like he's excited? You are altogether beautiful, my darling, beautiful in every way. You have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine. Your lips are sweet as nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. You kind of know how these people kissed. Kind of like the French, right? Um, you are my, listen to this, you are my private garden. Did you hear that? <laughs> private. You know why I have to emphasize that? Because when there's trouble and issues in the marriage and unresolved conflict in the marriage, all of a sudden the husband or the wife starts looking at other people. That's the worst thing you can do. As I said last week, the grass always seems greener on the other side of the fence. So water your own lawn. It's a private garden. It's a private garden. My treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. Listen to what she says to her husband. My lover is dark and dazzling. Better than 10,000 others. His head is finest gold. His wavy hair is black as a raven. His eyes sparkle like doves beside 
the springs of water. They are set like jewels washed in milk. His cheeks are like gardens of spices giving off fragrance. His lips are like lilies perfumed with myrrh. His arms like rounded bars of gold. It's not my arms, but Solomon obviously <laughs> was pretty buff. His legs are like marble pillars set in sockets of finest gold. His posture is stately like the noble cedars of Lebanon. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is desirable in every way. Now, now listen to this. This is the last sentence. Such, O women of Jerusalem, is my lover, my friend. My friend. Do you see the key there? The key is that great friends make great lovers. You got to be a friend to your spouse. And by the way, do you think they were excited about their relationship? Do you think this couple enjoyed extraordinary sex, or do you think they endured ordinary sex? That's absolutely extraordinary. Now, you know why? I believe personally the key is in chapter 2. Here's why. In chapter 2, it talks about how these two lovebirds would get away, just the two of them, and they would go out, and they would enjoy time together, spending time together. They would go out, and they would enjoy God's beautiful earth. They would enjoy nature, and they would enjoy life together. Listen, the key is that they spent time together. That's why she was able to say, you're my friend, my lover, yes, but my friend. So that leads you to your next point. If you're taking notes, when a married couple has a great relationship outside the bedroom, it will translate to a great time in the bedroom. And that's a fact, Jack. But you know what the problem is? The problem is you guys are so busy, some of you, working 55, 65 hours a week, wife's working, guy's working, you both have full schedules. You kind of pass each other every once in a while. You're not taking time with each other. You're not spending time with one another. You're not really dating each other. And no wonder the bedroom is so boring. Because you got to connect emotionally before you connect physically. You got to connect relationally before you connect sexually. And if you don't, your sex life will be ordinary. Now, this is tough, what I'm talking about here, because God made men and women so different in this area. Guys are kind of like your standard on and off switch, right? You go into a room, you flip on the light, bam, there's light. Women, no, 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 no. Women are like a dimmer switch. <laughs> Slowly turning on all day long. That's the truth. That's the truth. Now, guys, you know that's not you at all. Every guy in this building knows that he does not need a lot of emotional preparation for sex. All he needs to be doing is breathing. <laughs> guys, help me out. Don't leave me up here hanging, right? Is this... Is this true or not? If it, guy, if this, is, if this is true, say amen. amen. Right? That's true. At bedtime, if a husband sees his wife taking off any 
article of clothing. He is ready to go. Lights on, bright lights, it's there. And some of you wives are saying, well, that's not normal. It's not normal. Listen, it's not normal for you, but it's normal for him. It's the way God created him. You got to accept that about your husband. At bedtime, if a wife sees her husband taking off an article of clothing, she's not thinking about sex. She's thinking, you better put that in the laundry basket. <laughs> right? That's how God created us. And I love it because I, I personally believe that God has a sense of humor, and I think he did this on purpose. Here's why. Because marriage is one of the top three ways that God will help you become a selfless person. Right? What is he trying to do? What is our Father in heaven trying to do? He's trying to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom from, for many. Jesus was the selfless one, the unselfish one. And so God gives us marriage. He makes the man totally different from the wife. And if they don't learn to be selfless, if they don't learn to serve one another, then they will absolutely not make it. But if they learn to serve each other, and they learn to be selfless, and they learn to become best friends, and they spend time with one another alone, and they develop that relationship, then God is glorified because it looks a lot like Christ and the church. But again, if there hasn't been any emotional connection, guys, listen, your sex is the last thing she's thinking about. A survey was taken, I, I shared this two or three years ago, a survey was taken, and married couples were asked this question. What do you enjoy doing most with your spouse? Okay, we all know the husband's answer. <laughs> Number one for all the guys was sex. Do you know where sex ranked with the wives? Number 13. Do you know what was number 12? Gardening. Some of you guys, I know you're blown away. What? <laughs> yep, that's the way God created her. Now listen, I think the primary reason why sex ranked number 13, I think it's because primarily the different ways that God made the man and the woman. But I also wonder if the reason it's all the way down at 13 is because of the lack of emotional connection before there's physical connection. And so if, well, let me back up. I said this before too. For the wife, all day is foreplay. All day. She's that dimmer switch. So if a husband and wife have been connecting, maybe they go on a dinner date. Maybe they go for a long walk along the beach. Maybe they go to a romantic movie and they just hold hands together. It's one of my favorite things to do. Not so much into romantic movies, but I love going to some movies and just sitting there with my wife holding hands and then just going out to dinner and laughing and talking and connecting. If a husband and wife, maybe he brought her flowers. Maybe she wrote him a love note. Maybe he opened the car door. You guys remember that? You used to do it when you're dating. Maybe she gave him a big hug and kiss when he came home from work. Maybe he helped out with the dishes. 
The point is, if they've been connecting during the day, she will be more ready for intimacy at the end of the day. Why? Because the dimmer switch is getting brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And so by the end of the day, it's bright. And now you can go to the dimmer switch in your bedroom and turn it all the way down and enjoy the beautiful gift that God, God created. Another survey was, get, was taken. The question was asked the wives, quote, what is the single greatest thing a husband can do to motivate you sexually? Guys, it wasn't take off your shirt. Flex, not even on her mind. Here's the wife's number one answer. Help with the housework. Now, did you hear the, did you hear? Yeah, the ladies are clapping. The ladies are clapping, right? But did you guys hear that subtle moan from the guys, right? You see God's sense of humor. God made us different. He wants us to become Christ-like, servants, selfless. And so, if there's not been any emotional connection, there not been any kind of acts of service, here, guys, here's what our wives feel like. They feel like they're just doing their marital Christian duty. And then it's boring, it's ordinary, it's routine, it's dull, and it's totally not what God wants as he reveals it in his word. Here's your last point as Zach comes out. Some more hindrances to intimacy. Unresolved conflict. We talked about this the whole message pretty much last week. So if you weren't here last week, you gotta go back. There was a, a lady in the first service, um, her and her uh, boyfriend are, 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 are dating, they're getting ready to be engaged. She went back and listened to last week three times to get more and more out of the message because we packed in a ton of truth into one 45-minute segment, and it was really kind of like rubber meets the road, um, some basic conflict resolution principles. So we already talked about that last week. Number two, impurity will absolutely hinder your intimacy. And guys, this is mainly has to do with us. Do wives struggle with impurity? Of course they do, but not as much as guys do. And so guys, you gotta get this area under control in your lives. Do you know why in our contemporary church today, so many women are becoming leaders of churches? You know why? It's because so many guys are in the bondage of pornography and they have no confidence in Jesus Christ. They have no confidence to lead. And women are starting to step up more and more in churches to lead. And I believe, guys, if we get this right, number two right, we will see revival in the church, this church. I'm talking about the men in this church. If we will get this one point right, we will see revival in this church. We will see a spiritual awakening on the Treasure Coast. We will see hundreds of people coming to Jesus Christ. Why? 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 Here's why. God blesses a pure church. You gotta get this, listen. You gotta make a covenant with your eyes not to look lustfully upon a woman. Your wife does not wanna be compared to some number 10 beautiful young model with a perfect body. It's a, it's a break of trust. Do you know what she feels like when she knows that you're looking at other women? About that big. Do you know why not all guys, not anywhere near all guys, but you know why some guys need to go on Viagra? or Cialis, because they spent 
years looking at pornography and now their wife doesn't turn them on anymore. That's sick and it's sad. We should be a pure church. Our lives should be different from the lives of the world. And we gotta get clean and clear in this area. And it's not just the guys, ladies. You know, you know who, who read Fifty Shades of Grey? More men or women? Women, by far. Over 100 million copies. Over 100 million copies worldwide sold of the trilogy, Fifty Shades of Grey and whatever the other two books are called. Over two, uh, just under $250 million for its global opening. You think we live in a fallen world? See, here's what's, here's, here's what's going on. Women don't have that love relationship. They don't have that love story like Solomon and the Shulamite woman in the, in the book of Song of Solomon. And so you know what they do? They turn to romance novels, and it gets twisted. It, has nothing, it should be called Fifty Shades of Abuse. Is what it should be called. And some of you have read the books. Some of you have gone and watched the movie, and you've got, you got to repent. You've got to clear your heart of all that junk. Listen, either you're serious about being a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ or you're not. And if we're serious, we'll be clean and pure in this area, right? And God will help us. Listen, God will help us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you if you know the Lord. Of course he can give you the power to say no and not to click. So disagreement on frequency that's another hindrance. Let's say the guy wants to make love three times a week. The lady wants to make love once a week. Maybe you ought to compromise and make love twice a week. She gives a little, he gives a little. You're serving each other. You're being selfless. But make sure you're emotionally connecting before you physically connect. Here's why. Because a great relationship outside the bedroom makes for a great time in the bedroom. One of the greatest gifts God can give His children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on Knowing Christ.